Hello, and welcome to Heal Podcast. I'm a trauma psychotherapist and your host, Lucy Ritchie. Excited to welcome Michael Cohen today. So Michael Cohen is the director of the Center for Brain, which is in Jupiter, Florida. The Center for Brain is a neurofeedback, basically, center that offers not only neurofeedback, but also biofeedback. The way that you can think about this is neuroplasticity for your brain, but also bioplasticity for your body. So what Mike does is he helps train the brain to make it function better. A lot of people are looking to get off medications, for example, or they're, you know, they tried psychotherapy and they've tried all kinds of different means to heal. And at the end of the day, they just realized I need to try something else. And so he gets a lot of these clients and ultimately he helps rewire um, their brain in a very healthy, natural way, which we're going to talk about today. And what this is doing is actually helping the electrical parts of the brain. We have electrical and chemical parts. And what this is doing is helping the electrical part change so that it can influence the chemical part to also change, to function in a more optimal way. So Mike generally works with people who have anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, post-concussion syndrome, sleep issues, ADHD, chronic pain. And he even works with people who are losing sort of that mental sharpness and who are really looking to sort of enhance the way that they can think, remember, focus. And the other thing is that neurofeedback and biofeedback are actually used for performance. So a lot of Olympian athletes will use neurofeedback. So Mike is not new to this field. He's actually been practicing neurofeedback for more than 25 years. He's a nationally renowned leader in the field of neurofeedback and the author of Amazon's best-selling book, Neurofeedback 101, Rewiring the Brain for ADHD, Anxiety, Depression, and Beyond Without Medication. So Mike is here today not only to talk about neurofeedback, but also to talk about things in our environments that are influencing the changes of our brains. And these changes aren't just to our brains, it's actually impacting our hearts and impacting our gut microbiome. So without further ado, let's chat with Mike. All right. I am so excited to have the Mike Cohen on Heal podcast. Mike, how are you doing? Very good, Lucy. How are you? I'm so, so good. And I'm so happy to have you here. You are an expert in neurofeedback. And not only that, but you've actually uncovered something that's really exciting that I do want to touch on today. But before I do, I'd like for people to know what is neurofeedback and how does it work? So every day, we get someone coming in going, what does this stuff do again? Somebody told me I should look at this and I don't know what it is. Uh, so real simple terms that, okay, we are used to exercise. And if you go to a gym and you work out and you pump your muscles like with weights, you get stronger. So we know how you get stronger, you pump your muscles. Okay. How are we going to get our neurons to fire better? Okay. So instead of pumping your muscles, we need to help pump your neurons. We need to help you strengthen. There's lots of different networks and areas of the brain that play a role in how we pay attention and how we sleep and how we manage our mood and how we control our emotions and how we stop the racy brain um, mm -hmm. and how we think. So all of those things are brain things. And if you have an area of the brain that's not firing as efficiently as it should, or is over firing too much or firing too little, or one area not talking to each other. How do you change it? So just like we're going to exercise your muscles and make them stronger, we're going to help you strengthen the neuronal firing circuits to help that part of the brain work better. Now, how the heck do you do that? Mm -hmm. uh, 
So everybody knows. So you, you've ridden a bike, right? Of course. So let's just imagine you're driving down the road and you're on your bike and you're on the road riding very straight. And all of a sudden, while you're looking around, you hit a rock. And the moment you hit a rock, you start to tip and you're going to fall, except that you don't. So that could happen, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So how did you not fall? What did you do to keep that from happening? What you're, you could not explain that to me if your life depended upon it. You're, you didn't go, okay, I need to think myself up because you'd be on the ground by the time you're thinking about it. Your brain literally identified, okay, I'm slipping off. And it figured out how to balance. So what neurofeedback does is it says, I'm going to measure the brain activity. And while you're going down the middle of the road, let's say you're watching a movie, you see that movie. But the moment that your brain starts to tip, okay, I'm making a little too much activity. I'm starting to tip. I'm making too much activity. I'm making too little activity. The movie starts to fade out. And just like somehow your brain figures out how to get you back on alignment, your brain literally, by telling it instantly, okay, your brain's off a little bit. The computer, through connecting to watching the movie, is showing you, okay, you're a little off this way. You're a little off this way. You're making a little too much. You're making a little too little activity. Straighten up. And your brain figures out how to do that instantly. Yeah. So what, remarkable. Yeah. So what you're saying is when clients come to see you, when they're sitting down, there's the sort of screen in front of them. What we do is we affix, well, we put electrode sensors on their heads that sense the brain waves. And through the video, the video is actually reflecting back to the brain. This is what your brain is doing. And you're doing too much of this. So it gives an inhibit. It, it um, suppresses that. Tell your brain you're making yeah. too much. I'm going to fade, fade you out. You made too much of this stuff. So now you can't see the movie very well. And how about it? Just like you, you just all of a sudden you tip over and you get back. Your brain figures out how to get the movie back. Just like it's, okay. you're going down the middle of the road perfectly. Yeah, Your so brain it, does it automatically by correcting itself. It's like training wheels for your brain. You're a little off here. You're a little off here. Oh, get back in the middle. And you constantly have to practice getting your brain to do a better job of staying in the middle. Because, you know, our brains aren't always optimum. We've had lots of things that tipped us from trauma to life to things in our environment and stresses. And so how do you get your brain to be back on track or maybe on track for the first time in your life? Literally measure and inst it just instantly tells your brain, you're off a little bit, you're off a little bit, get back on track and your brain, it, it is remarkable how much people, and you know this, can change their brain simply by giving them a little bit of direction, giving them instant corrections. Now, we're not telling them. The computer is telling them. Mm -hmm. You're a lot, you're a little off, get back on track. Yeah, and the person doesn't even know. It's unconscious. And so the one thing that's interesting is that we're working with the electricity of the brain in doing this. And most people are used to treating things with chemicals, pharmacology. So prescriptions to try to feel better from anxiety, to try to handle symptoms of PTSD to 
for ADHD. And what we're doing is we're not working with chemicals. We're actually working with the electricity of the brain. And the chemicals influence the electricity and the electricity influences the chemicals. So this is how we can create that change. So just wondering if you could speak to the electricity part. So all of or our brains make electrical activity all the time. And, you know, that is when you put sensors on your head, you're measuring brain waves. But that is the electrical activity of your brain, which is literally measuring how groups of neurons fire. You know, they're firing one time per second, five times per second, 10 times per second, 20 times per second. So we have DC electricity in our brain, uh, kind of like a battery, but very, very tiny levels. What is DC, just for those who are not familiar? Direct current. So you're not plugging yourself into a wall and getting the current. (laughs) Your brain is making electrical potential. Basically, the electrical brain waves are an electrical, electrochemical process. So as you said, when people say, okay, I'm changing my neurotransmitters and I'm using meds, actually the meds only influence how your brain changes certain aspects of electrochemistry, as you indicated. And uh, the problem with meds are they don't teach your brain. So if you take those medications and they help you and you stop taking them, you tend to fall back. Whereas if you train the patterns of your brain to be better at managing emotions and better at being more calm, if you train the part of your brain, I'm going to improve the efficiency of the electrical activity of my attentional system. Mm-hmm. I have now learned to help my brain do that on an ongoing basis for potentially the rest of my life. And it's that is fascinating. electrochemistry. Like, yeah, it's so fascinating. Like, it's just amazing that we can do this. And, you know, it's interesting because. This can influence our brain waves, right? When we voluntarily want this to happen. But there's involuntary things that are around us every single day that also impact our brain waves and not for the better because we're not in control of this. We're just walking around and there's something in the air that you study that is absolutely fascinating, by the way, um, that is impacting our mental health. Okay. Your phone is producing microwaves. Wi-Fi at your house is producing microwaves. Bluetooth is producing microwaves. So we wouldn't stick our head in a microwave oven, but a little bit of microwaves couldn't possibly hurt us, right? They, the government wouldn't allow us to do something that wasn't good for us, right? Mm. Okay, maybe that's not so true. Uh, <laughs> the government probably doesn't care. And there are lots of companies who probably are not interested in promoting these devices, which everyone uses, mm-hmm. actually produce uh, electromagnetic pollution that there are 10,000 studies supporting that those microwaves have some level of biological effect, meaning they affect your body, they affect your brain. And there was, a, I hate to say this, but there was a great rat study done in 2016 where they exposed rats to basically two hours of cell phone use a day. It was very close. And for a month, 
and it showed increased oxidative stress. So it, it's a precursor to inflammation. Um, there was some DNA damage that started mm -hmm. and uh, it increased something called cytokine inflammation, which is actually COVID increases cytokine inflammation. So it's not so good. So all of this is just not being talked about. And so how did I end up getting into this? Mm -hmm. Well, it's partly because, you know, I read and research lots of things, but what affects the brain? So why are we getting people, so many people with these problems and it keeps increasing? And so there was some interesting research about, gee, this type of exposure to Wi-Fi and wireless increases beta activity. So very simply, I'm going to put it in the terms of now what I've researched, which is it increases the amount of calcium that flows across your cell ne neurons. So it makes your brain a little more hyper excitable. Mm -hmm. So if you have anxiety or you have a sleep problem, the word hyper excitable does not sound like the right thing to be doing. Yeah. So what I have learned is to tell people, turn off their Wi-Fi router at night, unless it's at least 40 feet away and keep your phones at least eight feet away. And the first girl that really came and I kind of had the nerve to tell this to, this was a family who was bringing their eight-year-old who had debilitating migraines every single day for about six months. She was going to school maybe half the time and they had five MRIs by the time they got to me and they'd seen three neurologists. Nobody knew what to do. Where is your router? This is right after I'd done all this research. Where is the router, the wireless router? Turned out it was on the other side of the wall from her bedroom, about 12 feet from where she slept. Okay. So they were desperate. So they turned it off and immediately, and we did a neurofeedback session on her for migraines that day. And we did two more over the next week and a half. And Neurofeedback is incredibly good for migraines. After three sessions for someone with severe debilitating migraines, she never had the hint of a headache again. Wow. Wow. And so what she had done is she turned off the router at nighttime. And, and, uh, and they ultimately moved it far away. But at the time, at the time, they just turned it off. And, you know, I'd like to say the three neurofeedback sessions completely eliminated the severe migraines, but I've done migraines a long time. I've asked a bunch of people. That's a little too fast. It was why and it just went away. It went away. So yeah. Now and I have lots of anxiety clients who I'm saying, where's the router? Okay. It's 15 feet. Turn it off. I had a lady who was in her early 50s, who had moved into a place, what well, turned out her router was a much closer in the place she moved. And she'd been experiencing anxiety for two and a half years. She'd moved in two and three quarters years before because it's mm -hmm. cumulative. It takes time. Mm -hmm. And so she wanted to come for neurofeedback. We actually did this by Zoom. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, turn that off first. You're, it's, it's like 14 feet from where you sleep. Turn it off and then you can come in for neurofeedback. She never had to come. Her anxiety kept dropping. And within three weeks, it was about 80% better. Wow. And yeah, and when I think about this over time, 
you know, 10 years, 15 years of having that router there, you know, the, the increasing damage to DNA. I've read hundreds of papers on it, but there's a lot of papers. Mm -hmm. um, I have a neurologist who wrote the cover to my uh, book, Neurofeedback 101, Dr. Rusty Turner, Robert Turner, mm -hmm. who was teaching at the University of South Carolina Medical School for 20 years. And he is now trying to promote to neurologists the impact of Wi-Fi and wireless on neurological conditions, on exacerbating migraines, seizures, and many other neurological issues. And he's got, he's literally sent me hundreds of papers himself that he researched. So this is real, but yeah. nobody wants to hear it. I was just going to say that no one really wants to hear that their cell phone and their router because it's adding one more thing. And yeah, you're right. It's, I was just going to say that nobody really so, wants to. So I've learned to back off. I, have, I do have a website page that we've tried to simplify to say, well, what are the three things that you can do? And I've learned that if you simply start with turn the Wi-Fi router off at night, by the way, boosters too, because people have these Wi-Fi boosters. Those just count those as Wi-Fi. So okay. turn them off at night or make sure the closest one is 40 feet away. Okay. 40 feet's not a perfect number, but it it's better than other numbers. Yeah. It's 20 feet, not a good number. You can measure. And so we have some information on that. But just one of the simple things, move your phone eight feet away. Mm -hmm. We also suggest don't use Bluetooth wireless things in your head and don't hold a phone against your head. But that's a third. So turn off your device and move it away. And I can't remember what the third thing is, but it's on the page. So in it's other not, words, keep it simple. Yeah. Keep it really simple. Yeah. And you've been so generous that you actually offered us a PDF, and that's going to be at healpodcast.com for everyone right. to go check it out. Um, and before I move on to gut microbiome, because there's there's a big impact there too, I'm just curious one more thing on electromagnetic frequencies, so EMFs and other, you know, dirty electricity, as you mentioned, what exactly can people do who live in condominiums, metropolitan cities? How can they get the effect of having the router 40 feet away if they've got people above? So if they're in an side? apartment or a condo, yeah. which is often, okay. So on that page that you're getting, and it'll also link to our website that has a little more information. Um, you're going to have to ultimately find a device to measure what, because you don't really know if you have a problem or not. Even when I say 20 feet or 40 feet, that might or might not be an issue. I had a guy that started asking about anxiety and sleep issues. He's a very healthy looking early 40s guy. He had a cell tower that had been put outside his condo about not right next to it, but relatively, you know, certainly you could see it. Turned out it was the cell tower in his case. He didn't have a problem with the things around him. So you have to know what you're dealing with. Right. They put shielding over the wall and it stopped it. And the next time I saw him two weeks later, he said, my anxiety and sleep are now back to normal. Two weeks. Oh my goodness. And the shielding, is that sort of that paint? So there is shielding paint. Yes. But I, if you're going to get into that, you better either have a good measuring device or have somebody who can consult with you at least 
to mm-hmm. guide you because you can really deep dive this stuff. So mm-hmm. the first step is I, I give some recommendations about a meter. I make nothing from any of that um, that I just really like. It's not the cheapest, but it's really clear. Yeah. Uh, so there's some guidance for people if they want to look into that. But I will tell you that you simply don't know if you don't measure. And I'm having a lot of clients be annoyed by me by telling them, why don't we rule this out? And they do it. And there's been some shocking pieces of information that came out about what they're getting exposed to where people are sleeping. You want your microwave per something called microwatts per square meter to be below 500 when you're sleeping based on German standards for healthy houses. And I had this little girl that was nine years old, we're treating for anxiety. And we just, we'd make a little progress. It wouldn't stick. In other words, she trained her brain. It mm-hmm. should make progress, but it wouldn't stick. I'm like, why don't, mom, why don't you check the house? She's sleeping in 10,000 microwatts. This is at DNA damage breaking levels. Oh, wow. You don't know if you don't measure. Like that's the thing. And yeah, that's exactly it. You don't know if you don't measure. That's for your environment. And you don't know if you don't measure inside the brain. So neurofeedback can really help see what's going on and work with the brain waves. The hardest thing I've realized for people to understand about neurofeedback, um, it's hard to believe how much people can change in a really short time. Yeah. I mean, you have numerous stories of that. Everyone who does neurofeedback has stories. I just talked to a guy that had been dealing with really incredibly difficult anxiety and mood issues, and we added in a new training for him four minutes because he's very sensitive to training. We did four minutes to see if this is going to lift his mood a little bit. He says, the last two days were phenomenal. Four minutes of training over his left temporal lobe. The brain is so powerful. And neurofeedback just allows people access to their brain's ability to help themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. And on top, or I should say below the brain, first also the gut. So the, the gut really does influence the brain. And it really goes with the theme of our conversation today about, you know, what's going on in our environment with electricity. And you're saying that electricity actually impacts the microbiome in the gut. So I'd love to hear more about that. So this came from what is called a functional medicine doc who's kind of expert in this. So I first heard his podcast, uh, uh, Dietrich Klinkhardt. He's a little bit controversial because he's German and he just says it the way it is. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't pull any punches. And he says, I like that though. <laughs> this, <laughs> is, this is not good for us. And let's think about the three parts of the body that are most sensitive to disruption in electrical signaling. So problem is you have an external EMF pollution source that disrupts electrical signaling in cells. In other words, it makes it less healthy. Uh, yeah. And I could get into the technical, but believe there, there is very good research on these transport mechanisms. So the three areas of your brain that are most critical and crucial for electrical is Brain waves, you have an electrical system in your brain. And there's several research studies that show that having 
a cell phone changes your brain waves. Yeah. Fast activity in the brain, which makes you more anxious and makes it harder to sleep. And this is being seen over and over. The, the two other parts of your body that have electrical signaling that's critical is your heart, mm -hmm. the largest electrical producer. And just as a side note, there's becoming an epidemic of arrhythmias and people doing ablations, which I've started seeing. We don't necessarily see that with neurofeedback a lot, but I'm talking to lots of people. I've talked to cardiologists. Okay, where do people keep their phones near? They hold their phone near their heart. I see mm. people put it in their pockets. Oh my gosh. Okay, not right. an optimum electrical strategy. And then the gut, I didn't think of the gut as having electrical properties, but the microbiome, this is the billions of little bacteria inside you that help digest right. your food and help in communication and all the different organ systems in your body and from your gut to your brain. This is part of the gut-brain connection that people have heard about. Um, there, all those microbes and bacteria communicate through electrochemical properties. So if you interfere with the electrochemical properties, the EMF can really potentially disrupt that. So yeah. that's one connection. But what else could affect the microbiome? So any kind of history of antibiotics. So somebody mm -hmm. comes in and they say, you know, I have all this anxiety. Have you had how many antibiotics have you had in your lifetime? If they go, oh, I had lots of ear infections when I was a kid, or I had acne, or I had, you know, I got sick, you know, maybe once a year. I had a guy that came in, well, I didn't have that many. I, I probably only done antibiotic once a year. He was 60. I said, so oh, you think you've done antibiotics 50 times? Oh, no, probably more than that. Yeah. Uh, so antibiotics disrupt your microbiome, meaning they change the balance. You know, people are taking probiotics. Probiotics is for help more healthy microbiome, but it's not sufficient. It doesn't overcome all things by any stretch. Yeah. But when someone comes in for anxiety, almost always anxiety starts in the gut. Mm -hmm. And this was told to me by one of the top naturopaths in the country who wrote the GI book for all the naturopath schools. And I was commenting to him that it seems like all my anxiety people or 80% of my anxiety people have had, you know, eight or more exposures to antibiotics in their life. And he says, oh yeah, we've been teaching that for the last 15 years. Okay. So... I always assume that if there's anxiety, that there's a gut-brain issue. Yeah. Now, could there be exceptions? Maybe, and you have to do a deep dive and really be sure. But, uh, you know, even if you just ask people, you know, tell me what your anxiety symptoms are. Oh, my brain starts racing and I can't, and I worry a lot, or I feel very fearful, or my heart is, you know, racing too much, or I have clenching hands, all those different symptoms, depending upon, is it a body brain symptom? Mm -hmm. Well, what happens with your stomach? Oh yeah. My stomach is always involved. I mean, the number of times they go, oh, well, I do feel something in my stomach. You know, it's not everybody, but I mean, because you don't always know that you have gut brain issues, yeah. but you should probably assume when you dig deep into the research, you can literally go look at PubMed, which is the NIH database, 
look up microbiome and anxiety and you will start to see research. So we have to take care of that gut and eating, for example, how, how's your glyphosate intake? You have any idea? Google's glyphosate. Okay, so what is glyphosate? Uh, glyphosate is Roundup. So it's an element of Roundup, the pesticide. The, uh, and and uh, it affects your microbiome. So there's this really big book explaining the biochemistry of how glyphosate affects the microbiome. Why is this important? Because about three or four years ago, the Environmental Working Group, very good environmental group, sampled 180 items in the grocery, including oh, organic and non-organic oh, oats and wheat. So how many different things are there that have oats and wheat? I mean, cereals, bread, crackers, except pastries, you know, uh, crust, et cetera. Okay. Of the 180, 180 had glyphosate contamination. So every time you eat, now the, the organic was lower than the non-organic. Um, I actually looked up because I happen to like hummus and I'm like, well, I bet this doesn't have it. Turns out it was higher than the oats and wheats when I looked it up. So um, it's yeah. being used in the agricultural system, primarily in the United States. It hasn't gotten that much into Europe yet, but how many people are actually having their anxiety affected by just eating little bits of this? We don't know is the answer, but there is some emerging research, actually more than just emerging research on the impact. So mm. you gotta watch what you eat. There are really good supplements that can help the gut. Mm -hmm. Changing your diet, though, counts a lot. You know, I just read a paper about depression in um, artificial sweeteners, increasing the, the risk 50%. Yeah. Of, it it's horrible for you. Yeah. So all, these so all of these things are important. The nice thing about neurofeedback is it helps you feel better even if you don't do diddly on the other stuff, mm -hmm. but it often doesn't hold as well. If you're in a toxic world, if you're getting, if you're sleeping near a router, if you're eating preppy or eating, you know, bread mm -hmm. that is not optimum, um, and which is unfortunately, you know, what we have in the United States at least. And yeah. So, and you know, I just want to add this because the way that you're describing it is just really me making me think it's kind of like if we go to the gym and work out five days a week, but then, you know, we don't eat well, we're not going to see the best results. We might see some results, but we're not going to be able to maximize our results. And so what you're perfect. saying, yeah, it's like if I'm training my brain, I also have to, you know, feed my body what my brain needs. And just like when we go to the gym, we want to grow our muscle. Well, we got to give protein. We're not going to go eat the chips and eat all this stuff that's going to go against what we're doing. You want to support. Just be aware. At least try to eat organic. No, try to yeah. eat as organic as much as you can because you can't be perfect, but that is typically better. Yeah, and I eat oatmeal every morning, so we'll have to check that out. It is organic, but I'll have to see the brands and stuff and look around. I do want to use all of this in with one case, I've been doing this a long time, but this this was a case that kind of blew me away because it was 
I was able to kind of use all these things that I talked about, which it doesn't always happen. People can't always do your suggestions, but this was a particular client, and we do have permission to at least discuss this, that was having such severe level of anxiety, uh, kind of panic attack, anxiety, constant, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, and this these fear fear things that just overwhelmed her. So about 42 years old with four kids, you know, and there was a divorce in there. So it, it made it more challenging for her to kind of navigate her life. Yeah. But her fear and her brain going crazy and getting fearful and overwhelmed and I can't deal with this and was so bad that when we first started working with her, I really thought she needed to be hospitalized. I did not think she could take care of her kids. She, you could just, you couldn't even have a conversation without it just escalating into extreme fear. You could almost say just the tiniest little wrong thing and she'd just blow up into panic. So there were several things that we ended up doing because she did not want to go to a hospital. So we put a neurofeedback piece of equipment in her home. So she was distant and we dialed in every day and ran a session with her literally every day. And it took a little bit to figure out how to start to calm her down because there's lots of different areas of the brain. Mm -hmm. And which of which type of training is going to help calm things down quickly? Probably took a couple of weeks to get the real calming effect where at the end of the session, and I'm literally saying like within a week, with no more than two weeks, it's probably a week and a half, she would do a session and go from to I'm feeling a little better. So then what else did we have to do? So it turned out she was sleeping next to a router. I mean, when I say next to, we're talking three feet. Oh, isn't okay. Yeah. Okay. Does that overstimulate your brain? Well, I can't say it affects everybody is the cause, but I can say, let's rule out things that are not optimal. That's yeah. definitely not optimal. So that got turned off at night, unplugged. We worked on her microbiome by looking at her diets and looking. Something else that affects things is blood sugar. So there are, there's some really, there's two great podcasts on blood sugar that affect anxiety, panic attacks, and mood. So mm -hmm. we'll send you those links so sure. you can make them available. They're not my podcast, but they're just really well done. Yeah, absolutely. Any resource for our listeners is really what this show is all about. We want to help. So absolutely. It has been a game changer for my anxiety clients who didn't know that blood sugar was making them a little crazy, meaning mm -hmm. they went a little too long without eating or they ate the wrong thing that actually spiked their blood sugar, but who the hell knows? And they also had sometimes measurements, you know, oh, my blood sugar is fine. I went to the doctor. Well, that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about quick variations in blood sugar, moment to moment, day to, I mean, within a few minutes. Yeah. So you could have normal blood sugar, but all of a sudden your blood sugar starts to go down wherever level it is. And all of a sudden you feel, you know, panicky or anxious or your mood is off. So anyway, it was very clear. Actually, I had one 
situation where she was spiking into anxiety when I was interacting with her. And I'm like, what fruit do you have in your refrigerator? She had a pear. Go get the pear, eat it right now. Mm -hmm. So we literally did that. And within three or four minutes, she started to calm down. Mm -hmm. Her blood sugar had gotten off and she didn't know. So now she's paying a lot of attention to that. She listened to the podcast and she's doing something about it. So she's turned off her router. She's changed her eating. There were a few supplements that I gave her that are anti-inflammatory because all this stuff increases inflammation. There's one called SPM. So it actually stands for pro-resolving mediators, but mm -hmm. it's the best anti-inflammatory supplement you've never heard of. Mm -hmm. So uh, we can send you a link on that. The, That'd be thousands, wonderful, yeah. A thousand studies on this developed by a top guy at Harvard and who's ever heard of it? I hadn't even heard of it until three months. So, um, so I had her on that. One month later, I mean, I thought we were going to hospitalize her. Hospitalize her. One month later, she's we're talking, and she's like, "I think I'm really doing a lot better. I'm not getting upset by every little thing that somebody says. I'm being able to handle mm -hmm. my kids more calmly. I'm not freaking out." I, I, oh, there was one other slight change. She was on, she was on two meds, mm. one of which was kind of a Xanax, like a benzodiazepine type meds. Yeah. Um, I insisted that she start to reduce that and to suggest to the doctor. Now, I, I consulted with a psychiatrist so that yes. I could make a recommendation on this. Yeah. Psychiatrist suggested that she that the other psychiatrist she had add something called lamictal, which is a mood stabilizer, and start to reduce her other. So, so that was another change because if you're on the wrong meds, and I think she was, that that was actually potentially contributing, even though it's supposed to reduce anxiety. Mm -hmm. Wind up is all these things, and I'm sorry, it's complicated. No, it's great. Later, she is doing so much better. I wouldn't have believed it's possible to take somebody that bad and have them that much better in a month. Now, was that neurofeedback? Doing neurofeedback every day, quite frankly, was very helpful. Yeah. But if we had left the router on, if we kept the food problems, if all the things. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I could have gotten her to do the other things without the neurofeedback, quite frankly. Because mm -hmm. it gave her enough calming that she could handle some of the suggestions. Because uh, yeah. you can be very overwhelmed when you're anxious and not be able to do anything. When we introduce neurofeedback, it's kind of like, okay, let's get this readjusted here. Let's get the foundation set so that you can better manage your life. You can better manage all of these different things and have greater focus. Instead of coming from a place of panic, a place of fear, a place of dysregulation. To me, when I first tried it, I was like, whoa, okay, what is this? This is amazing. And you're right. It does take some time. I'm not going to paint it that it's easy right from the get-go because it does take time to find the most accurate frequency for the individual, what reward and inhibit example. Just like you go to the gym, you need to adjust the training when you're working out to get the optimum workout for that person. So that's yeah. what neurofeedback does. You, Somebody who's good at working with neurofeedback, they're helping, they're a coach, they're helping you adjust the training to fit. And in your example, in the example of this case, you have the potential for just really making a big change. You're, 
you're going to make a change. You're going to help people. But, uh, and I have a lot of colleagues who don't do all the other things that I talked about, who make good progress. But I believe that if you do the other things, just like your gym example of don't eat crappy when you go to the gym, mm -hmm. you'll yeah. do better. Yeah. Um, if you do, the, if you are able to do the other things, I think it'll have a bigger, longer term impact. And that's what we're after. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. And let me know, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners? Well, I think we just have to be in awe of the brain and the body's ability to do the right thing when you have the right tools. So I just tell people, we just have cool gym equipment, you yes. know, for the brain. <laughs> yes. And most people have just never been given the option that they can actually change themselves and get themselves more settled. And recently, not just recently, but over time, I've had clients who got mad at their other doctors. Why did the other doctors not tell me that I could actually okay. change this myself? Why did nobody tell me this? How come I've been struggling sometimes for years or their kids have been going, they've gone through ups and downs with their kids and in a relatively short amount of time, they're getting help because yeah. they can improve it. So it's a tough world, but hopefully your listeners can help other people understand there are options. There are options. And thanks for bringing that point, because as I've, I'm coming to understand, Western ways tend to lead towards psychotherapy. And psychotherapy is very important. This is my area. I'm a trauma psychotherapist. Um, but I think at, there's room for adjunctive treatment like neurofeedback. And neurofeedback, when we go uh, to the East, it's well known. It's used. And psychotherapy, not so much. So, you know, when we look at Western culture, we want to make sure that we can spread the word about neurofeedback. There is certainly a much greater awareness starting to occur as people are really just frustrated and what else can I do? Yeah. And so a lot of people literally have never heard of neurofeedback, but are finding me well, because they've looked online, what else can I do for my anxiety or yeah. my mood or my sleep? And, you know, the meds aren't working. So hopefully that will also be a driver for a lot of people to go. There's got to be a lot of people just go, there have to be a better way. I'm going to find it. And yeah. that's where that's what you're offering. That's what we're offering. And fortunately, uh, it's now more accessible to more people. Yeah, that's right. Mike, thank you so much for being with us today. So tell me, where uh, can people find you? I know it's Center for Brain, centerbrain.com. Centerforbrain.com, uh, the Neurofeedback 101 book they can find on Amazon. And the reason I wrote that was people would often say, can you explain this a little more to me? Because I don't really understand it still. And yeah. so I decided with a lot of people pushing me to write something that made it relatively simple to understand. So it's a really quick read book. I've gotten lots of really good feedback that it makes it simpler. And people ask me a whole lot less questions after they read that book. <laughs> so it really does help answer and provide some good examples for people of how it's being used. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing, Mike. Thank you so much, Lucy. I appreciate your inviting me. It's always great to have good conversations about how we can help people. And really, that's what this was. So thank you so much for your efforts in doing that. Thank you. Thank you for being here. 
Heal Podcast is an educational platform that aims to depathologize trauma through meaningful conversations. None of the information provided is intended to replace conventional therapy, and all listeners are invited to seek their own professional services for their unique concerns. We are thrilled to have our listeners as part of our growing community. We strive to make our conversations as educational as possible and, of course, interruption-free, which is why we do not include advertisements. So with that, I ask that you please subscribe to Heal Podcast, like and share it with your friends, and of course, with your social media to support the growth of this channel. I'd love to stay in touch with you, so come follow me on Instagram at Heal Psychotherapy. You can follow me on YouTube, and you can also come visit us at HealPodcast.com, where we do give away lots of free resources. You can get a free ebook. And you can also submit a question for our next guest. Last but not least, I'd like to take a moment to thank Jordan Bernard for creating the music for Heal Podcast. And of course, I'd like to thank you so much for being here. And as always, I'm truly rooting for you.